Guys, if you could open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 15. It's Luke chapter 15. We have finished our series on Ephesians after, what did I count, 37, 27 messages or something like that on Ephesians. Um, yeah, so good. We've had Psalms in the middle. We've had a, bit of, a lot of guest preachers come through, but we're going to take a four-week break before we start our epically long Matthew series, uh, which we're titling Jesus is King. Um, if you know, there's a reference there to a, a popular rap album that just came out last year. The link is, it's not a real link, but it is a coincidence that he was able to summarize Matthew um, in his album, Go Kanye. Uh, So Matthew, we're going to do Jesus is King. That's coming up. That's going to be like a two-year series. So before that, I thought we needed a little bit of a breather. And I thought what we needed as a church, actually, after spending three months or four months, what did we say? Four months, um, a third of our year inside, sort of not gathering, um, I thought we needed to do a series looking at mission. Uh, looking at relaunching our church back into a state of where are the lost people and how can they get found again? Uh, We have a mission statement as a church. Knowing, or we're passionate about knowing, applying, and proclaiming the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's that proclaiming piece that we're going to be focusing on the next four weeks. What does it look like to be those who are proclaiming the beautiful, amazing awesome message that there is salvation from sin, that there is hope after death, that even if a virus robs everything from your life, you have an eternity of splendor and joy awaiting you. That's the good news, and that's the privilege we have of sharing it. Uh, And so we're going to begin today with today's message, which is called Seek the Lost. So if you want a title to write down for notes, it's called Seek the Lost, and we're in Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I don't know when the last time you experienced losing something precious to you and finding it. Uh, unfortunately, it's an all too common experience for me in the past six months. I seem to be losing things and then having to spend a lot of time finding them. Um, and in particular, I seem to lose my wallet a lot. And in one case, I, I lost my wallet one day and I, I just couldn't find it anywhere. And you know, when you lose your wallet, it's super annoying because you've got all your bank cards, you've got your license, you've got gift cards in there. I don't carry any cash, or at least I wasn't losing any cash. But you know, without the wallet, no Opal card, no security card, my gym pass, everything, it's all in there and it's gone. I'm like, ah. And of course, it's not my fault. My immediate reaction to losing my wallet is Judah. Uh, now, we have a one-and-a-half-year-old son, and Judah, he can't talk yet, so it's easy to blame him. He must have picked up my wallet and put it somewhere, except with a one-and-a-half-year-old, one it is very hard to know where he may have put it. So he had this habit of like putting things in the bin. Now, we were trying to stop him doing it, but I was like, if I can't find my wallet, surely it must be in the bin. So first place I go, I look in the recycling bin, because that's the clean one, wasn't in there. Then I look in the garbage bin, I'm like, oh, trying to pick through things. I'm like, okay, well, it's not right at the very top, so let, let's just leave it there for the moment. So I, I looked in the top of the bin, and it wasn't there. Then I started looking through, like, all my pockets and my shirts, and then I was like, oh, it'll turn up. Like, I looked in the car, it wasn't there. I texted people, is it there? Two days go by, I'm like, oh, man, I still haven't found this thing. This is getting worrying. So then, since then, we've taken that bin out and put it in the red bin. But I'm like, I still cannot find this wallet. So I'm all the way down into the whole recycle bin, and then I'm like, oh, my gosh, now I've got to go into the red bin. So I'm opening up the red bin and pulling out the garbage bag and dipping all the way in throughout the whole garbage bag with all the pooey nappies and all the food and everything's in there. I've got coffee beans all up my arm and I'm stinking and still no wallet. Like, oh my goodness, help me, Lord. I'm praying, I'm like fasting, I'm walking around in sackcloth and ashes, I've torn my clothes. This is, I'm in desperate states at this point. I'm asking everyone, and Maddie's just like, oh my goodness, come on, just put it in the one spot, and then Judah will never get it. I'm like, I, I, I thought I did. Anyway, eventually, after four or five days of not having my wallet, I was about to call the banks, cancel the cards. I was checking to see, were there any false transactions? Anyway. One day, Maddie was putting away some of my clothes, and right there in my second drawer, where I would never put my wallet, is my beautiful little black leather wallet just sitting there. And she pulls it out to me like it's a golden relic, and I've got it. I'm like, yes, my wallet, it's back. And you know, I'm telling everyone, I'm texting, I found it, don't worry, I found it. And that incredible joy of just getting that precious little thing back. You know, and when we find something that's precious to us again, we have this thrill because it's valuable. We love it. We need it. And when we get it back, there's this contentment, this peace, this loss of anxiety because our precious thing is back in our possession. When we look at today's passage, we see an infinitely more precious object that was lost and an infinite more amount of joy when it's found. You see, this passage today is all about the Lord God seeking after lost souls and rejoicing when they're found. How much more precious, obviously, is a soul to a wallet? 
And so we see this immense joy in this passage of a shepherd and a, and a lady going to find her coin. And then we later, if you know the prodigal son, the, the father finding his son again. It's three stories about lost things that are found. But you may have noticed at the beginning of the reading that not everyone was so excited about finding lost things. And there's a tension in this passage because Jesus is talking about the joy of finding a lost soul but standing on the outside are these men and you know, um, leaders who are called Pharisees and scribes. And they're not so excited about these lost people who are being found. And the tension of the passage is this. It's that although we may say we love seeing lost people found, the question is, do we actually? Do you and I truly like to see and love to see the lost be found. Now, we may not be like the Pharisees and the scribes who were looking tut-tut on the, the lost people, the sinners, but perhaps in our own way, in our own hearts, by our lack of action, we demonstrate that we're more like the Pharisees and the scribes than we'd like to admit. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Now, the tax collectors and sinners, so that's like the worst of the worst, were all drawing near to him. So Jesus is preaching and teaching, and the type of people that want to listen to him, surprisingly, are the most outcast, the most needy, the most aware of their lostness. They were all drawing near to hear him. They're crowding in. Then verse 2, and the Pharisees, they're the religious elite, and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, for the Pharisees and the scribes, they wanted God's kingdom to come. They wanted Israel to be changed. They thought the way to have God's kingdom come and the Messiah to come was not through having the lost be found and then changed. It was having the lost be completely changed and clean up their life and getting all Israel to follow the Torah again, to follow the Ten Commandments again, to clean up their lives ceremonially and morally and ethically and to have a holy Israel again. And then the Messiah would come and then God's kingdom would come and then Israel would be back as a city and heaven would come to earth. And so when they see the, when they see the tax collectors and sinners gathering towards Jesus, this is rocking their world. Because they want people to change first and then follow God. They don't want people to start following God with all their mess and all their grime. And they certainly don't want to be a part of the process. The Pharisees and scribes don't want to go out to the lost in their uncleanliness, in their wickedness, in their sin, in their occupation. They want the lost to come to them changed and already like them, like a Pharisee. And so Jesus tells these parables to get to their heart. And although we may not be like the Pharisees going, oh, the sinners, we don't want them in our church, by our lack of action at times, by our lack of willingness to go out and find the lost, we can actually be just like the Pharisees. We can have the same heart. We may want to see them come in. We may want to see people change. We may want to see people go from death to life like Michaeli. But we don't do anything. And we wait for them to come. 
We wait for them to figure it out. We wait for them to rock up. We wait for them to ask a question. We wait for them and nothing happens. And so Jesus tells these parables, these stories, to get to the Pharisee's heart and to get to my heart and your heart, to change our hearts so that we too love the lost and seek them ourselves with Jesus' care. And that's really the point of today's sermon. And in fact, it's one of the ways that Jesus summarized his ministry. If you look at Luke chapter 19, verse 10, after Jesus saves the lost man Zacchaeus, Jesus says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He wasn't waiting for people to change their life. He was going out to change their lives and then bring them to follow him. And so the message, the main point of today is this. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we get to join in the search. You see, what I want us to understand at the end of today's message is that Jesus has a mission and we get to be a part of it. And the get-to part is what the heart of this message is about. I want us to have this thrill, this joy, this sense of like, I get to be a part of Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. What a privilege. Rather than accidentally being like the Pharisees who are just waiting for them to change and come to us. Two points today. Jesus seeks the lost. Point number two. If I tuck my shirt in. This uh, seeks the lost. Point number two, we get to seek the lost with Jesus. So very simple sermon. Let's jump into point number one. Jesus seeks the lost. And I'm basically just going to read through this parable and just help us to zone in and see Jesus' heart for lost people, for those who are outside. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. So notice the link, the word there, so. So because the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and looking at, oh, look at all these sinners joining Jesus. Look at them in all their, they haven't changed yet, yet he lets them be near him. He says, well, here's, here's, here's some teaching for you. And he asked them this rhetorical question. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the open or does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? It's an obvious question. Like the answer is, of course we would. Like, you know, a hundred sheep, that's your wealth. So one sheep is lost, that's 1% of all your wealth is gone. The average wealth of someone in Sydney is a million dollars, believe it or not. That's the average wealth of a Sydney cider. So if you lost $10,000, would you just be like, oh, it's only one. One sheep out of 99 ain't bad, you know. 1% of the wealth. But not only that, the average shepherd knew his sheep, loved his sheep, had seen them born and raised them into full maturity, needed his sheep. And so obviously the shepherd is going to seek after that lost sheep. The obvious answer is yes, of course. Because if you lose one sheep today and go, oh, it doesn't matter that much, in three months' time, you'll only have like 70 sheep, and then eventually you have no sheep. So it, it matters to seek the sheep. 
you know, we don't do that with our kids. If you lose a child, if you've ever had that horrible experience of, like, where's my child? You know, go, at least I got two more, you know. It doesn't work like, oh, we can make another. It doesn't work like that. So he goes. And you've got to imagine, you know, for them, they could imagine this, you know, this rocky outcrop, different patches of grass. You've got to imagine an Israeli shepherd, you know, like if a sheep gets lost, it's not like a walk through, you know, down in Bega or something like that with nice, you know, the south coastline and the sunset. You've got wild animals, you've got rocky mountains, and you've got to find this sheep. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 in open country, safe country, where potentially there's another hired hand. They're all looked after, and he goes and finds the lost sheep. It might take him days. He might be hungry. He might be thirsty. He might get, you know, wounds. He may be attacked by wild animals, but he so loves his sheep. At great personal cost to himself, he goes out to find it. He lays down his comfort. He lays down his privilege. He lays down everything because he needs to find his lost sheep. And what does he do when he finds it? We'll read verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Could you imagine that moment after potentially days of searching and finally he finds this little lost sheep in a thicket somewhere or on a rocky crag and he's like, yes, my sheep. And he runs and he probably hugs it and kisses it and maybe breaks its leg so it won't run off again. And then pops, you know, just gently, just a gentle snap of the, you know, the leg, pops it on his shoulders and brings it all the way home. And now he's got to do that entire journey that he just did with a sheep on his back, hungry and thirsty, with all the danger, all because that silly sheep, that sheep just didn't want to be with the pack and it went off on its own. And then when he gets home, the obvious response is this. If he loves this sheep so much, he doesn't just like throw it in the pen, not that they had pens, but throw it in the stable. They don't have stables. Throw it in the field and go, you idiot, don't do it again. No, look at verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Such a different picture to the Pharisees and scribes sitting back, tut-tut-tutting to Jesus as the sinners and the lost come to him. And this is how he gives his commentary on it in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The point that Jesus is making here is that God loves it when lost people come home. God loves to see those who are far from him repent, which means turn from their sin and come home. God welcomes the outcast in with open arms, without having to change, without having to clean their life up. God welcomes the lost home. And the obvious side point to the Pharisees and the scribes is, so should you. So should you. And just because our hearts are often so hard and we get so used to being in our little community and our little way of thinking, Jesus tells the story Again, look at verses 8 through 10. So we had a shepherd, now we have a woman. Oh, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, 
So now we've gone from 1% wealth, now 10% of the wealth. So that's $100,000, so to speak. Loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. You could imagine an ancient Israelite house of a poor woman. You know, she doesn't have beautiful windows like we have here. She's in a very dark house. So to even find a lost coin, 10% of her wealth, she has to light a lamp and use a broom to try and hear it. She's doing everything she can to find this coin because of how precious it is. And when she finds it, she calls together her friends. You know, these are $100,000. She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. And just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same concept. You know, God is picturing himself here as a a shepherd, um, as a woman even, and, and later as a father in the next story, which we won't look at this morning. And this value he sees in human souls, every single one of them, any person that is lost, so valuable so valuable that he would go to great lengths to have them found again. And when they are found, when they repent and believe, there is joy and there is partying. And you see that in this story, in these stories, we realize that the one doing the seeking ultimately is Jesus Christ. You God the Father was in heaven and we have turned our back on him. And as we've turned our back on him, in order to find us, like the shepherd, he sends out someone into dangerous territory to bring the lost home. And so for God, this is his own prerogative. This is his decision. He goes out to seek the lost because of how valuable they are to him. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you lost? Are you someone who is not yet a follower of Jesus? You you couldn't define yourself as a found person. Are you lost this morning? Now, you may be thinking, oh man, that's that's an offensive term. I I don't normally wake up and define myself as lost. I don't want to be defined as a lost person, especially if you're male. You're never lost. You're just taking another route to get to your destination, right? Like, you know, guys, we never ask for directions generally. I do because I'm terrible. I use Google Maps. I got no idea. But the general competent male doesn't ask for directions, never lost, just taking a different way. We don't like to be called lost. But when Jesus is calling people lost here, he's not saying you're a failure of a human being. Your life has no meaning or purpose. Um, You're not worthy, you're not anything. That's not what lost means here. So when I ask you, are you lost? What I'm asking you this is, are you where you're meant to be? See, lost in this passage means you're not where you're meant to be. The sheep is meant to be at home with the shepherd and the other sheep. The coin is meant to be with the other coins and its owner. And the son is meant to be with his father. To be lost is to be separated from where you ought to be, in the Father's care, in the presence of God, safe and protected and loved by Him. You see, to be lost is to not be in a loving relationship with God, to not know His peace, to not have hope for a future with Him. Are you lost this morning? 
And if you are, let me encourage you, just like in this story, any person can be found again. Any type of person, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter what's been done to you, no matter whether you used to be a Christian, you're no longer, whether you follow one religion or you've got multiple different religions, you've got all these different things going on, or you have no religion at all. Anyone who repents, which means they say, I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to go back to my father. Anyone who does that can be found and can come back in to the father's loving arms. If that's you, Know this, God is not mean-spirited and angry. He's not like the Pharisees. He's not going to clip you over the head. He's not going to say, get out, fix yourself up, and then you can come. He will welcome you with open arms. There will be a party in heaven rejoicing over you coming home. It's incredible. God, the maker of heaven and earth that you have rejected, will welcome you back in your present state. If that is you, come home. If you sense God calling to you, come home. Come home today. Come home right now. Speak to God the Father. Confess your sins and ask him to accept you again. And he will embrace you. If you are already a believer here this morning or on the internet there, This passage is here not just to teach us that we can come home, but for those who are home, who are in God's care. It's to give us this sense again, this wonder and this joy and this heart to see the lost be found. Remember Jesus' mission. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Do you see that as your mission? Is that part of what you define your life is meant to be like. If I looked at your schedule, your texts, uh, your money or how you're spending your time or even just your heart, does your heart have the same passion for the loss that the Lord does? Do you see them far off and think, I've got to go get them? Or do you think, ah, I'd rather stay in the field with the 99? You see, we all know, um, you know, if you've been a member of this church, that one of our missions is to be on mission, right? Is to actually go and seek and save the lost. Jesus himself said in John 20, 21 to the disciples, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. This is not news to us. This is not a new message this morning, okay? But with all things... We start with enthusiasm. We start with a bit of energy and gusto. And then very quickly, like our hobbies or good intentions, working out, dieting, all those things, we lose track. And suddenly our normal life takes over and our pursuit and heart and value for the loss can so quickly be lost itself. And to be honest, in my own heart, I struggle with this so much. I have this, you know, this desire gap between what I want to do for the Lord and what I actually do. I want to see the lost saved, but how much time do I spend seeking after the lost to see them saved? Not much. My heart is there, but my action doesn't back it up. In fact, sometimes, sometimes I wonder and think, do we actually have to be on mission? 
Sometimes I actually think, ah, oh, do we make this up? Like, have we made this up as Christians that we all need to be trying to evangelize? And I, I've actually gone through the Bible to try and find, like, is this just something we've added on? Was that just like for the really holy people, the, the really good evangelists, or is this for everyone? I've even tried to get out of it, thinking, nah, this is not actually a call for the whole church. Maybe some great missionaries, but we all just live our normal lives, and if we get a chance, tell someone about Jesus. But are we meant to be seeking the lost? I've had those thoughts. I try and get out of it scripturally. But, but what that reveals, and maybe that's you too, that your heart, my heart, is in the wrong place. I'm thinking, what do I have to do rather than what do I get to do? I'm thinking, am I scripturally commanded to seek the lost rather than there's lost sheep, there's lost coins, there's lost sons and daughters. I'm found. I got to go get them. Imagine this. Imagine for a second, there is no great commission. Jesus never said to the disciples, I'm sending you. He never said, go, baptize, you know, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no command in Scripture that you have to tell anyone about Jesus. You wouldn't be disobedient. Take it out of our mission statement, you know, Sovereign Grace Church, Parramatta. We're passionate about knowing and applying the gospel. There's no requirement to do proclaiming. You're never going to get asked about it. You're never going to be, you know, who are you trying to reach out to? It's just not there. You don't have to do it. You get to heaven, God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You never evangelize, but I never asked you to. So there's no requirement. Would you still do it? Would you, at great cost and pain to yourself, still seek the lost, even if there was no requirement to do so? That hypothetical reality is actually the reality of God. You see, God himself did not have to seek the lost. There's no divine eternal law which says, God must save sinners. No. Sinners, you and I, humans, we reject God. And God could have left us completely to ourselves. There's no commandment that God has to save any sinner. Yet God sent his only son to find you and I. Out of his love and mercy and free grace, he goes on the rescue mission to bring us home. Look at what Hebrews says about Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You can picture it like this. Jesus sees the lost sheep out and although there is incredible valley of death that he has to go through to find that lost sheep, the joy and value of finding the lost sheep spurs him forward to the shame of the cross. To be a church that seeks the lost, to relaunch as a church that seeks the lost, we need to change our hearts. We need a miracle where it goes from we've got to to we get to. It needs to be a deep inner change where we repent of times when we are content being the 99 in the field and not joining Jesus in his mission to seek and save the lost. And if that's you, and that certainly is me, I encourage you, repent. Repent for your lack of love. Repent for your cold-heartedness. Repent for times where it just doesn't factor into your daily life. 
Repent for your self-love and self-preservation and ask the Lord to fill you with a heart for the lost like he has. Our lost people, your joy. Well, you can tell by your actions, by your time, and by your heart. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we get to join in the search. It begins in our heart, but it must move to our hands. And that's where we get to point number two. Seeking the lost with Jesus. How do we, with Jesus, seek the lost in Parramatta? Practically, how do we go from leaving the 99, joining Jesus as he seeks the lost? Now remember, it's not us. We don't actually do the ultimate work. So don't feel all this guilt and burden. Jesus is the one that seeks and saves the lost, but we join him in the battle. We join him in the pursuit. We join him in the joy as well. So how do we go about doing that? Well, a quote that has really helped us as a church to define what we do as mission is from Tim Chester and Steve Timmis. They say this, most gospel ministry involves ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. And so, you know, for some, there's a call to go to far-off nations or to live a sacrificial life as an evangelist and to, to be bold like the Apostle Paul, you know, maybe get in prison, go and like change your whole life and be centered on this one thing. But for many of us, the call on our life to seek and save the lost is to be an ordinary Christian in an ordinary job, in an ordinary life, doing ordinary things, but with a heart for the lost, with gospel intentionality, with the good news of Jesus Christ on the tip of our tongues. It's to be ordinary, but on our toes. To be ordinary, but with a heart that yearns when you're on the train, when you're on the bus, when you're out and about, when you're with your colleagues, friends and family. There's this, this, this weird reality where you're thinking, oh my Lord, help me to tell them about the gospel because they are on their way to judgment before a holy God. And then, like Colossians chapter 4 says, to be wise in the way we walk with outsiders, to have every conversation seasoned with salt, and to think, how can I announce the good news today? How can I help this lost person to be found? And so as a church, is that my phone going, stopping the, maybe someone stop it. Did it break the, hopefully it didn't break the live feed. Um, maybe someone checked that. As a church, we've come up with four simple ways to help us. <laughs> this is, I needed to put it on, uh, what's that, do not disturb. Man, we're getting all the bugs out today. Um, four simple ways that we've come up with as a church to seek and save the lost, to be ordinary gospel missionaries. We call it C4. Um, it, most of us know it, but it's good to be refreshed in this because it's just an ordinary path for seeking the lost. Four things. <laughs> it's going again. Connect, care, communicate, and call. Is it still going? It goes back on. All right. Sorry. 
What's the time, by the way? I didn't bring my watch up. Okay, cool. How are we going? We're, we're good? All right. Four things. Connect, care, communicate, and call. Simple ways that we can actually have gospel intentionality every day. Point number one in our application, we're in point number two, seeking the lost with Jesus. First thing, connect. That means build relationships with those who are lost. Look up and see people and reach out in friendship. Jesus said in John 4 verse 35, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The majority of our gospel intentionality begins with looking up and connecting with the human beings, the souls that are in our midst. The Pharisees looked up and they saw the sin, but not the soul behind the sinner. We need to look up and see the souls, the eternal souls that are around us. These eternal and weighty beings that will one day either worship for all eternity at the throne room of Jesus Christ on their knees praising the lion and the lamb or eternal creatures who one day will be forever chained in sin and misery and darkness cut off from the presence of God. We need to look up, see and love and try and make connections. We need to connect That means knocking on our neighbor's doors. It means talking to people on the bus and the train and at university. It means getting off our phone. It means talking to the waiter or the waitress. It means speaking to the barista. It means talking to friends and family that we already have that we're not connected with. And it's not like we're trying to, you know, build up our team. It's we're trying to see lost souls brought back in. We're to connect. Luke 15 again, what man having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. We join Jesus in seeking the lost by connecting with the lost. You can't seek the lost if you don't know anyone, (laughs) if you're not connected with them, if you don't have a relationship with them. You can connect with someone and tell them the gospel straight away. You can go down to Parramatta, walk, and just go for it. And I encourage you, do that as often as you can. But sometimes we just have to have ordinary gospel intentionality. We need to connect. Secondly, we need to care. That means we serve and love people who are lost. Once connections have been made with people who don't know Jesus, we prayerfully consider ways in which we may be able to demonstrate the love of Christ to them. You've got to recognize that for a lot of people in a post-Christian Sydney, it's a bit different in Parramatta, there's lots of different faiths, but for a lot of people, they will experience the message of the gospel in far more receptive terms if they've experienced the love of Christ coming through us first. And so care for people, Love people. I mean, we always, our church does this so well, so I'm just trying to spur you on to keep doing it, to open your eyes and do it some more. Remember what Jesus did when he found the lost sheep. He lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Sam Chan um, has been talking, he's an evangelist in Sydney, he's been talking about in order, a good way to have a gospel care for people is to ask a second question. He calls it the power of the second question. It goes like this. You're connecting with people. You're having a conversation. Oh, hey, once you've built up a little bit of friendship, how are you going? And they say, yeah, I'm good. You know, things are all right. And then he says the power of the second question is, yeah, but how are things going 
really. And once you're at that kind of relational level, that really second question enables them to, because no one answers, actually, my life's terrible right now. I'm, you know, I'm taking antidepressants, I hate everything, and I'm going to quit life right now. That's not how people answer when you say, how are you going? Because we have this tacit agreement, no one answers that truthfully. But when you care for people enough, and you ask them the second question, maybe they'll open up, and maybe you can care for them and demonstrate that you love them as a person. And then he, I was reading, he said, lately he's been asking people, hey, my family, we pray together every night for a period of time over dinner. Can, can we pray for you by name as a family? And he said, a lot of people are finding that, that that's just a caring thing. Some people say no, some people say yes. But some practical ways we can actually care for people. Obviously, you've got to do it in a way which is unique and true to your personality and the relationship you have with them. Make meals, have conversations, buy someone a coffee, care. Point number three. Well, actually, let me just ask two questions. So who do you need to connect with? Where do you need to make connections? Point num- uh, question number two, who do you need to care for? If you've already started connecting with people, how can you start to care for them? And who are those actual people? For me and my family, we need to do that with our neighbours. We'd love to just have more people over. It hasn't been something we've done. We need to do it more. Number three, this is where things get hard. So we've got connect, care, finally communicate. We need to share the gospel with the lost. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how how you ought to answer each person. The best way you can love anyone that's lost is to tell them the hard but beautiful truth that they are a sinner, they must repent, and they will be welcomed by Jesus Christ if they do. At some point, we have to cross the pain line and actually communicate that to people. Otherwise, we're hugging them on their way to judgment. Who do you need to communicate the good and loving news of Jesus with? This will be painful. This is going out into the open country to search for that lost sheep. And maybe that lost sheep, when the shepherd came for him, maybe the sheep bit him. Maybe the sheep didn't want to be found. And that's going to be the reality at times. People don't want to be found. People who are lost... They don't want God to interrupt their life. They don't want their whole life to be changed. They've got a nice life. They've got a nice family. And if you're an unbeliever listening to this, you might be thinking, I don't want to be found. I'm fine. God can go away. And that's the kind of reactions you might have. But love means we communicate. And the best thing we communicate is the gospel. Finally, call. We need to call the lost to turn to Christ and follow him. We're not just to drop gospel bombs and then run off like the pizza boy when they deliver the pizza. It's like, you know, the Uber, you know, like the Uber food delivery now, contactless, so they sort of like lay it there, they press the doorbell and then they bolt and like, yeah, see you, good, right, next one. That's not how we're meant to preach the gospel. Jesus even says it here, one sinner who repents and turns. Someone has to call a sinner and say, hey, not only do you need to hear the message, you have to respond. 
there's a, a necessity of response. Will you become a follower of Jesus today? Let me tell you a story about um, a youth I was reaching out to for a long time. This youth grew up in a Christian home. Um, I'll give him a name, Ethan. Um, and Ethan grew up in a Christian home but rejected it completely and lived a pretty hardcore life for a long period of time. He knew that Christianity was true. He knew the doctrine, but he wouldn't submit to it. And so I took him out for coffee multiple times. And then one time I was just, I was a little bit fed up, but I was just like, how much can I say to this guy and offend him and see what happens? Um, not to offend him, but just to try and shock him. Because I would talk about the reality of the gospel and he'd just be like, yeah, I know. And so I said to him, brother, you know, friend, if you go down this path, you will die you will face judgment before God and you will go to hell. That is what will happen. And he kind of looked at me and said, yeah, I know. I was like, I don't know what to do from here. And so we ended, I'm like, I'm always here for you. Uh, but then over the next um, five months, the Lord did an amazing thing in his life and miraculously through all these different circumstances one night he was alone in another country and the Lord just laid upon him this sense that he needed to repent and so he did it right there and then on his own went from death to life and now he's a changed person in fact he was so changed that he was reading his bible secretly because he wanted to see if the change would actually stick he didn't want to tell anyone he's a Christian because he didn't want to let everyone down again and this person you know at one point went from death to life. And I'm not saying that it was because I called him to faith, but at some point people have to stand there and say, you are going to die and meet God. What are you going to do about it? We need to call people to trust in Jesus. So who do you need to call to faith? Is there anyone that you've been communicating the gospel with and you actually need to ask them, do you want to become a Christian? Do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Here's how you do it. You pray and, you know, then you start following him. And it's that simple. Is there anyone you need to call to faith? Now, remember, as we go through these four things, connect, care, communicate, and call, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Ultimately, it's his job, but we get to join in. The pressure is not on us. The burden is not on us. It's his job. But we have a calling to join him in it. And so we get to joyfully participate in this. So if you're feeling all this guilt and burden, like oh, I'm the worst Christian ever, I don't share my faith, I don't have any connections, don't. It's Jesus' mission. He bears the burden and you get the joy. So join him in it. And he promises in Matthew 28, 20, that behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You seek the lost with Jesus, not on your own. And so as you go out seeking and saving the lost, do it full of the Holy Spirit. Do it dependent upon Jesus Christ. Do it with the sense that Jesus is actually going before you. He's the shepherd seeking the lost sheep. You're just the tag along um, who he says, all right, you can go pick up the sheep and bring them in you can call out to the sheep. And we get that little, like, fun little bit, but he's doing everything else. So don't feel the burden. Don't feel all this weight and guilt. It's Jesus that's doing it. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we get to join in the search. And just imagine someone accepting your invitation, coming to church, reading the Bible with you, doing Christianity Explored, 
And imagine they actually repent and believe. They actually become a Christian, and then they actually start to sit with you here on one Sunday morning, raising their hands in worship. That is what happens. That is the mission of this church. That is what will happen by God's grace to many people in our city if we take up the call. Jesus seeks the lost. We get to seek the lost with him. And as we close, I want us to remember this. And may this inspire us. We were all once lost sheep. We were all lost at one point, And we all needed to be found. We were once away from the love of the Father. Helpless and destined to destruction. And the good shepherd sent out a worker to call you. To communicate the gospel to you. To bring you to faith. Whether that was a parent a grandparent, a friend, a preacher, God sent someone to call you out of darkness into light. We're in. Let us not get comfortable and complacent. Let's go out again and have the joy of bringing others in to experience Jesus. So as we relaunch as a church, let's connect with people. Let's care for people. Let's communicate the gospel with lost souls. And let's call them to become Christians and put their faith in Jesus. As we join Jesus in seeking the lost, may we see many, many found. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray and ask that you would change our hearts. Would you help us to be people that are not content with the 99? We, want to, we see the lost person. We see someone who is far from your love, far from your presence, far from the joy that they can have in you. Help us to get off our butts and do it in Jesus' name. God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with words. Fill us with confidence. Fill us with boldness. Fill us with love. Fill us with compassion. Give us eyes to see. And we thank you, God, that we get to join you in the journey. We get to be a part of the Great Commission. We get to proclaim your name and your fame. We get to set up the banner of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Lord, may you be glorified greatly. May you empower us as a church to go forward in mission. And may you be seen and savored by many in the city and suburbs of Parramatta. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.